Today we're going to be looking uh, into the book of John for the last time in our John series. So go ahead and turn to the back of the book of John. John chapter 21. This is, I believe, our 66th week in this book. And so I want to close today's uh, series of John by looking at the final, I think, five or six verses. And then I'm going to do my best, all right, to preach through the whole book today. Uh, promise. As a summary, uh, bring us up to this point. So uh, whether you called us halfway through John, whether today's your first Sunday with us, um, I'm not going to try to take 66 weeks of sermons and pack it into one. I'm just going to take some highlights as we look at the greatness of Jesus Christ in this book of John. Okay? So let's start in uh, verse 20, John 21, verse 20, 20 through 25. And then I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to get to work. Be blessed by the reading of God's Word. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did, were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, would you help us as we look at these verses and then look at, uh, Lord, some of your greatness as described by John. Lord, uh, would you allow us to be able to consider you Lord, not to ignore you or just to think that you're nice, but Lord, consider your claims and what that means for us. Lord, would we be encouraged? Lord, would the, would the ones here who, Lord, just it was all they could do to get here today. It was in their mind to stay in bed. It was in their mind to turn around. But Lord, they came here anyway. Lord, would you encourage them? Lord, would you be with those who have it all together and who think that, uh, who think they have it all together. Lord, you encourage them by showing that they need you. Lord, uh, that they need you today. Lord, wherever we are, would you just speak to us today through your word. Encourage us, enlighten us, challenge us, correct us, convict us. Lord, these things I ask because I know that you love doing these in the hearts of your people. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Alright, so let's look at verse 20 and uh, we'll work through this text today. Verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one that had leaned back against him during the, Lord, during the supper and had said, Lord, who is this that's going to betray you? It's that guy, all right? So it's John the author, the disciple whom Jesus loved. So Peter turns back as Jesus and Peter are walking along the shore. You know, last week we looked at Jesus restoring Peter, uh, asking him three times, does he love him? And then if so, then be obedient and feed the sheep um, shepherd the church, basically. And uh, so they're walking along the shore, and he looks and sees John, and he says, Lord, what about this man? What about John? 
What are your words for him? What about his devotion to you? What's going on? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, until I return again, look, if if it's my will that he doesn't die until I come back in thousands of years, whenever that may be, what is that to you? What's that your concern? Your concern, Peter, should be you following me. And this spoke to me this week, because I know a lot of us play a comparison game. We, a lot of us make excuses for our Christian walk, or faith, or lack of faith, or sanctification. A lot of Christians, like, how am I compared to this person, this person, or that person? Man, this hit me that says, you know what? It's not a comparison game of my spiritual growth, development, and health, and someone else's spiritual growth, development, and health. It's up to me to follow Jesus. I can't say, well, if I had what they had, I would follow Jesus like they do. Or, you know, if, 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 I, if I had a better situation, if I had it that easy, or if I had what they had, etc., then I could grow better. But, but because I don't have this, and because this person's not mentoring me, and because I don't have this involvement here, and because I'm not allowed to do this, this, or this, then that's why I'm not growing spiritually. We do this a lot, I know, in the Christian circles, and that's not okay. That's what Jesus is looking at Peter and saying, look, Peter, you worry about Peter. You worry about what Jesus is doing in you and through you. Don't, don't worry about John. I'll take care of John. That's relieving. This is what I see Jesus doing here with Peter. <clears throat> Verse 23, so the saying spread abroad, okay, that he said basically they took it to mean that he's not going to die. Um, but that's not what he said. This was written here by John in order to correct a misunderstanding that was popular at the time of, of the writing of this book of John, this narrative. So if John, after a long life, was still alive when this book of John was written, it was necessary for him to correct what was going on here. Yes, I'm getting old, I'm dying. This is not what Jesus meant when he said that if he wanted me to live forever, then I would live forever. Um, Jesus meant what he said and nothing more. And then verse 24, this is the disciple, all right, speaking of John, speaking of himself, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things. Consider the whole book. This is the conclusion of his book, all right? So this is the disciple who's bearing witness about these things, who's written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. So understanding this verse in light of the final chapter, we see this verse telling us that John is the writer of this book. He's the writer of this narrative. And the words that he gives us, we know his testimony is true, points to the fact that others were alive to vouch that John was a disciple of Jesus, that John had written this book himself. You could find any witness, compare his handwriting to his handwriting, like, come on, invite it in, and, uh, and also that what he had recorded was true. There were still witnesses alive that could vouch for more than John that what he had written was true about Jesus. It was legitimate. Verse 25, now there are also many other things that Jesus did. I love how he concludes this letter, his narrative, his book, his record of Jesus. Now, y'all, there were many other things that Jesus did. And were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Isn't that interesting? I love that. And remember, this is before the printing press. This is when everything had to be written by hand. There was no copy and paste. There was no electronic files. It was all parchment and pen. 
And man, if we could write and write and write and write and write and write and write all that Jesus did, there's not enough ink, there's not enough parchment, there's not enough room to contain the scrolls on this earth because of all the wonderful things that Jesus did in proving that He was God. So John closes his book out by pointing out that Jesus is much greater than anything he said. In other words, he writes 21 chapters and said, you know what? This falls so short. He is really so much better than what this is. I wish, I wish you could have walked with him and seen, because you would have known, and there's no way I could tell you exactly what it was like to walk with Jesus and, and experience him and see how he handled certain people. I've just skimmed the surface of what it was really like. To know Jesus. Today I'd like to wrap up our study of John, 66 weeks, by considering the main takeaways from our 66 weeks in John's narrative, seeing the greatness of Jesus Christ. So I'm just going to go chapter by chapter and hit some highlights, maybe read some scripture, and then I have a challenge for us at the very end, okay? John chapter 1, the Lamb of God who was with God in the beginning, the one who was God. The one who made all things. Yes, Jesus. Jesus is this one. He is the one who takes away the sins of the world. He came and became flesh and He dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. And He was something interesting altogether. He was full of grace and He was full of truth. So often we're either very true and we show very little grace. Some of us are so graceful that we share very little truth. Jesus was unique in and of Himself and that He was full of grace and He was full of truth. May we strive to be like Him. This is who He was. This is who He is. In Jesus was life. And the life was the light of men. He is the light that shines in the darkness. And the darkness is simply too weak for it has not overcome him. Jesus is simply too strong. He overcame the darkness. John chapter 2. Jesus knew every detail of the heart of mankind. John chapter 3. Jesus came to die so that we may be reborn and experience life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, Jesus, so that whoever believes in Jesus will not die, but have eternal life forever and ever. For God did not send Jesus, His Son, into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him, through Jesus, what He did in His perfect life, His substitutionary death, His glorious resurrection, His radical ascension, and His soon coming return. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, for Jesus Himself was condemned for them to be set free. John chapter 4, Jesus enters our fallen and sinful world and He takes on the realities of being human. God does become flesh. Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but He made Himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death upon a cross. Jesus came to quench the ravenous thirst of our souls by offering Himself as the all-satisfying living water that flows up from a well that will never run dry. Anyone who drinks 
of any other kind of water will remain thirsty. Yet those who drink of the waters from Jesus will never thirst again. As we live our lives, we're so prone to find fulfillment. We're so prone to seek contentment, satisfaction in any number of things. Homes, certain homes. Friends, certain kinds of friends. Money, certain amounts of money. Some of us brag about our poverty. Some of us brag about our wealth. Some of us brag about our friends. Some of us brag about the not having friends for sake of experiencing tribulation and loneliness as Christ. We make radical excuses for why we love what we love and why we don't have what we don't have. We're seeking so hard to to find the satisfaction and identity in what we have and don't have and what we can attain and what we have chosen not to attain. But that's not at all what Jesus says is going to give us the fulfillment that He gives. He says that He came so we could stop the search for identity. We could stop drinking waters that will never, ever, ever satisfy, that were never intended to satisfy. And He says, I've come to give you living water that satisfies. Look at verse, or, uh, John 5. Jesus enters the spiritually disease-ridden world and asks, Literally, he says this in John 5, do you want to be healed? Jesus, being equal with God, could certainly heal and save those who were sick, both physically and most importantly, spiritually. Whoever hears the words of Jesus and believes that God sent him to save, he has eternal life. Whoever believes Jesus doesn't come into judgment, but has already passed from death to life. Because of Jesus Himself, He came to be judged for you, for those who will believe. In John 6, we learn that Jesus miraculously feeds thousands of people from a sack lunch, proving that He is God and that He can provide more than mere physical food and satisfaction. You see, Jesus came to give Himself as living bread to those who are starving, to those who would like to feast forevermore. In John 6, we learn that Jesus walks on the water to meet his disciples who were in a fierce storm. He spoke peace to their chaos. He brings peace. He is peace. Jesus destroys the chaos and the hostility, the source of our chaos and the source of our hostility. And he speaks peace to our souls. And he speaks peace to our hearts. And he creates peace in the place of the hostility that he removes. Jesus in John 6 is asked, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answers, and I love this, He says, this is doing the work of God, that you believe in Him who He has sent. That you believe Jesus being the one that was sent from God to bring you to God. In John 6, Jesus declares His all-sufficiency when He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me will never hunger again. And whoever believes in Me will never thirst. Do you see the satisfaction that He's offering here? Whoever believes on Jesus, He will never cast out. He will never deny. I love that. Whoever comes to Me, I will in no wise turn away. No way. Jesus promises to successfully save all those who believe in Him, not losing a single one who comes to Him for life. That's an encouragement. Look at John 7. Jesus stands out and cries, If anyone thirst, 
Let him come to me and drink and drink and drink and drink and be satisfied. Whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus himself will satisfy your soul's search for rest and contentment and satisfaction. John 8, Jesus declares that He is the light of the world and whoever follows Him will not walk in spiritual darkness or death, but will have the light of life. And He also teaches that unless you believe that Jesus is from God to save you, that you will die in your sins. Jesus promises life and freedom. Really free. Jesus didn't save you if you would experience future bondage in legalism and moralism. Jesus died so that you would be free. And free means free. In John 9, Jesus heals a man that was blind from the day he was born. And the religious leaders and the Pharisees ask, who healed this man? Did the, did the one who healed you, was he a prophet? Was he a sinner? Who was this man? And the man answers, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I know, I was blind and now I see. And the difference maker was the Jesus that you're talking about. Oh, how Jesus loves to grant vision to those who are blind, hearing to those who are deaf, life to those who are dead. This was his mission. May many of us who have gathered in this room this morning, would many of us say, you know what, I don't know a lot about Jesus, I don't know a lot about the Bible, but this thing I do know, I was dead, deaf, and blind, but because of Jesus, I'm alive, I'm hearing, and I can see. That is what Jesus is about. John 10, Jesus said the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's our enemy. But Jesus came that we may have life and have it abundantly. He also says in John 10 that he is the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his own life for the sake of the sheep having new life. And then he says that no one takes his life from him. Rather, he lays it down willingly, intentionally. And Jesus himself has the authority to lay down his life in death and the authority to raise it up again in life. Why? Because he's God. John 11 Jesus glorifies his Father by raising Lazarus from the death, from the grave. You see, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in Jesus, though he die at some point, yet shall he live. And everyone who believes and lives in Jesus will never die. And then he looks at Martha and he says, do you believe this? I do the same to you. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Do you believe that you can live after this life because of what Jesus has done? What do you believe? My prayer is that you believe Jesus. In John 12, a day that's celebrated today, Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. The crowds took branches of palms and went out to meet Him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And then Jesus looks at the crowd and He says, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to Myself. Meaning that His saving work would take place as He is lifted upon the cross. Jesus has come into the world as light 
so that whoever believes in him may not remain in spiritual darkness, but that they would be saved and brought into the light. John 13, after washing his disciples' feet, Jesus gives a new commandment that his followers love each other just as he has loved them. So also are we to love each other. And then he says in John 13 that this will be an identifier. This will be a way that people can see that you're truly his disciples and his followers in how you love and care for and treat one another. John 14, Jesus claims that he is the way to God. In John 14, he claims that he is the truth. He also claims that he is the life. Jesus claims that no one will be able to access God unless they go through him, for he himself is the way to God. Jesus knows that it is impossible for us to make our own way to God. That's why he came to us, to provide the way to God. He is the means to God. He didn't say, do this list and you'll be good enough. He came down to fulfill the list, making us good enough. John 15, Jesus says that apart from me, you can do nothing. The Christian must abide in him and rely on his spirit to pursue him, to know him, and believe him. And then in John 15, he says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus shows his love for us by dying for us in our place for our sins. Not so that we would die, but so that we would live. John 16, Jesus tells us that in this world and in this lifetime, we will suffer persecution and tribulation. We will suffer trouble for his name's sake. But he says, Take heart, be encouraged. Be very, very encouraged. Why? He says, because I have overcome the world. John 17, Jesus prays for us, the high priestly prayer. He prays among several things that, that we would believe and know God. He prays that we would believe in Jesus. He prays that we would be obedient as we live on mission as he was on mission. He prays that we would be protected as we live lives on mission. He prays that we would love each other and, and experience unity with one another as his followers. In John 18, Jesus is arrested and he's unjustly tried. Jesus is sentenced to the death, death on a cross, the death that we deserve. John 19, Jesus is beaten, severely beaten, and he's hung upon a cross. And Jesus does this for us, for those who will believe. In John 20, Jesus is buried, but he beats death three days later, leaving the grave and death behind. His sacrifice of himself in our place was sufficient. Jesus appears to many, proving that he has, in fact, done exactly what he said he would do. Appearing to groups of 1, 10, 11, 40, 500, appearing to them, teaching them, proving that he is, in fact, alive. Now, Jesus did many other things that are not written in this book, but these things have been written for you so that you may believe that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah promised of old, that Jesus is the Son of God, and that by believing in this, you may have life in his name. 
Jesus is God. Jesus is God in flesh. And he came to live perfectly for your less than perfect life. Jesus came to die the death that your sinful, less than perfect life deserves. He came to beat death and ascend back to the Father. And he promised to return again for those who would believe in him. One thing he says, you must believe. It's in believing that you experience this being born again, that you experience this renewal of soul where your heart, your dead heart, comes alive. This is to be saved. To those who are Christians here, may we believe this and may we live this and may we share this with others. May we do more than just acts of kindness. To do mere acts of kindness without the proclamation of what Jesus has done for us is cruel. It does not help anyone pass this life. But doing acts of kindness and sharing what Jesus Christ has done for them is wonderful. It's the most kind thing you could ever do in this life is to point people to what Jesus has done for you and for them. This is our mission. Christians, this is our mission. My prayer is that we would no longer be silent about this. You see, we're all evangelists, right? We evangelize coffee. We evangelize sports teams. We evangelize cities. We evangelize clothing. We evangelize our, our professions. May we evangelize others about Jesus Christ, telling the world about Him, how wonderful He is. I love, I love the testimony of the man who was born blind. You see, it doesn't take a lot. Is Jesus this? Is Jesus this? Is Jesus? I don't know. But I do know this. Jesus has brought me peace when in searching for peace in my entire life, I could never find that peace. Every time I laid my head on my pillow, it was hard to sleep because of fear, because of anxiety, because of trouble, because of all that was going on within my heart and my mind and my world, and I had no peace. My situation hasn't changed. I still have all the reasons for anxiety and fear. I have it all. It's, it's all there. Yet there's... There's something about having Jesus and believing Him that brings peace regardless of what's going on in my situation. What? What do you mean by that? I, I, again, I don't know. I just know that, that in believing Him, something's changed within my heart. Something's different about my life, the way I think, the way I feel, the way I look at trouble. And then you think of, man, He did say that, man, He's overcome the world, so we don't have to fear this tribulation that is coming. That He is bigger than that. And he promises to provide regardless, right? We had a sack lunch and 20,000 people. And he says, no problem. So certainly he can look at my problem and say, not a big deal. I'm with you. Even to the ends of the earth, right? Christian, may we believe this and may we share this. You don't have to have all the answers. You know, no one has all the answers except God himself. May we be okay with that. May we tell others what we do know about Jesus. To those who are outside of Christ, to those who are unbelievers... My prayer is that you would believe Jesus. Jesus came to restore your relationship with God, His Father, that was otherwise impossible for you to overcome and experience. All He asks is that you repent and believe in Him. Hear this news. Hearing this news requires that we consider these claims. At some level... We must reason these claims of Jesus. And for those who are outside of Christ this morning, who are doubters, skeptics, uh, searchers, learners, discoverers, people from other faiths, I want you to consider this. At some level, you must consider and think through the claims of Jesus. 
Think through these claims of what I just said in, in summarizing a particular book of the Bible written by an eyewitness of Jesus Christ, one who was arguably the closest friend that Jesus had. Was Jesus a liar? Did he intentionally mislead through being so cruel at his foundation, mislead so many people? Do you think that is what Jesus was doing? Was intentionally lying and misleading? Perhaps. Do you think that he was just crazy, just outside his head, and just by chance performing 600 or so, fulfilling 600 or so prophecies in his lifetime? I mean, that takes a lot of faith. I'll be honest with you. That takes a whole lot more faith than just believing what he says. But perhaps, perhaps he's a liar, perhaps he's crazy. Do you think so? Think for this yourself. Or what I would submit to you is he's Lord. He is who he says he is. And what he says is true. And he proved it. And other people vouch for it all throughout church history. You know, in most situations, when there's a movement, particularly a religious movement, right? A revolution of some sort. When the leader dies, the agenda kind of falls flutters and fails. But with Jesus, it's remarkable that he died. He died such a horrible death, and so many people saw it, right? And yet it's flourished. And it seems as you look at church history, in moments of greatest tribulation and despair and persecution against the church of Christ, it flourishes even more than if all things were going smooth. How can you explain that? How do you explain that men leave Jesus in the garden out of fear, and they deny Jesus out of fear as he's being arrested? How do you explain that those fearful men end up dying martyrs' deaths because they believe so much in Jesus? There's only one explanation. They saw Jesus after his life. Nothing else could change that in a man. No one dies for an idea. No one. Maybe a fool. I will die if I know something is true. And if I believe that it changes things, you will too. You see, these disciples did see Jesus. And it changed these men from being fearful to being faithful and fearless. Dying horrible, horrible, suffering horrible deaths. So Jesus is a liar. Jesus is crazy. Or Jesus is the Son of God, the one that the Bible talks about. So you must say for yourself who Jesus is. Hearing this, what do you believe? You can't walk out of here and think, well, that was nice. Not if, not if he's a liar. That's not nice at all. You can't remain apathetic towards Jesus. I would challenge you to use logic here. If Jesus wasn't and isn't God, then we must hate him for he is the most cruel liars or he's crazy outside of his mind. You can't love him. Not if he's a liar. However, if we can't necessarily see him as liar or as crazy, then logically we have to receive his claims and worship him as Lord. I pray that you consider these things, particularly those who are outside of Christ this morning. May God work in our souls and may, may he lead us into light and into life through Jesus, the way to peace, the way to life, and the way to true hope. My prayer is that you were encouraged and challenged and strengthened, not only through this sermon, but through the 66 weeks that we've spent in John. I love this book. I love the fact that John can't get over Jesus. 
I love that he believes Jesus and he challenges others to believe Jesus. My prayer is that for me and that for you, that we would spend our lives doing what John did and making Jesus famous, pointing to him and saying, please believe him. It's in him that you find satisfaction. This is my prayer for us this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, I thank you so much, Lord, for for what you did do and what is recorded, Lord, uh, in John's letter. Lord, thank you for these weeks, Lord, uh, months and months of, Lord, time that we've spent in your word considering these things about you. Lord, will we believe these things? And Lord, would you strengthen our faith in you? Lord, would you be with those who are, who are doubters and skeptics this morning? Would you encourage them? Would you, would you give them faith? Lord, would you, would you help them believe? Well, that's the only way people believe is if you help them. Lord, do this, please, for your glory and our, our joy as we, as we celebrate what you're doing in the lives of these people. Lord, would you be with the Christians that are in this room? Would we live for you? Would, would we live bold lives on mission, making you famous? Would we consider John's word in 3.30 when he said that, Lord, we must decrease. We must be about making ourselves less significant and making you more significant. May we decrease and may you increase. Lord, would this be the, the posture of our hearts individually and as a church collectively and corporately? Lord, would you do this? Would you, would you allow this group of people to be caught on such fire for you, Lord, that we can't get over you? Not just on Sundays together, but Lord, as we scatter. Lord, we scatter as the church, making much of you and not ourselves. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you for life. In Christ's name, amen.